Welcome to the latest episode of Plugged In, a post-media podcast taking you down Canada's electric vehicle highway. I'm your host, Andrew McCready. Today, my guest is David Booth, senior writer for Post Media Driving. For longtime readers at the National Post and Driving.ca, he needs no introduction as for the past few decades, he has reported extensively on automobiles and the automotive business. And for the past few years, on the transformation from internal combustion power to electrification. One thing's for sure, there's never a dull moment on David Booth's beat. Likewise, there's rarely a bland conversation with the guy, particularly when it comes to EVs. But before we get to the interview, here's what's making news in the electric vehicle space right now. Harley-Davidson isn't a brand that springs to mind when you think of electrification, but the century-old bike builder hopes to change that with its Livewire motorcycle, which is showing up in North American dealerships this month. Granted, it's not exactly bike season here in Canada, but nevertheless, the Livewire is a very impressive piece of technology with a reported city range of 235 kilometers. But it's also a very pricey one, with a U.S. retail price of just under $30,000. That's Tesla Model 3 territory, but the bigger issue facing sales is the Livewire's intended market segment, namely young, green, and wealthy first-time motorcyclists. Not exactly a growing demographic. For more on the live wire, check out David Booth's first ride story on driving.ca. Now for an observation. Yesterday I picked up a 2019 Kia Niro EV for a week's test drive. And once I got in and turned it on, I was struck by the full charge range on the dashboard, 446 kilometers. It wasn't so much that the number surprised me. I'd read the press notes about the vehicle months ago, which included that full charge range. But rather, how far EVs have come in the relatively short time I've been writing about them. Seems like almost yesterday I was driving around in a first-generation Nissan Leaf with its 135-kilometer range and thinking it was a pretty manageable as a commuter vehicle. Less than a decade later, there are a number of EVs available in Canada like the Nero. Same price, same kind of range, and same creature comforts. Things like heated seats, heated steering wheels, and backup cameras. Listeners to Plugged In might think us linking the word revolution to electric vehicles is a little over the top. But sitting in that Nero yesterday and staring at that number, I couldn't help but feel we really are in the midst of a major technological revolution when it comes to mobility. Okay, that's it for the news. Let's talk to David. My guest today certainly needs no introduction if you're a longtime reader of the National Post or uh, Driving.ca. David Booth has been writing about automotives for 35 years, I guess 36 years now. 36, indeed. And um, so he has a huge breadth of knowledge. He has an engineering background also, so he's uh, a little more than your garden variety automotive journalist. He brings a, a technical mind to what he does. Um, if you do read him, you'll know that he's one of the fortunate few in the world to uh, go to tracks around the world and drive extremely exotic sports cars, supercars, motorcycles on these tracks. And EVs. And EVs, which, EVs. which is why we brought him here today. And other of you who read his Motormouth column, which is extremely well read and well written, I might add, you'll also think, why is this guy on an EV podcast? I say that because David is a... I won't say skeptic of EVs, but he's been following it for a long time and he has questions about their long-term viability and even their current viability. But my first question, David, is what is the first electric vehicle you ever drove? Electrified or electric? Electric, 100% electric. I think it was a mini. If it was semi-production, there were a couple of 
prototypes earlier than that. There was a hydrogen-powered, and hydrogen is, of course, an electric vehicle, which I'm sure we'll discuss today. Right. But uh, there was a hydrogen-powered GMC Equinox or some kind of SUV, and also some sort of Mercedes-Benz little thingy here. That so, I mean, is, I've lost my memory on that. Time frame of that, probably... Oh. 10, 12, 13, 14 years. Right. I'll be on. very, f f uh, not the very first, but one of the first uh, Tesla Roadsters, the little uh, Lotus yep. thing with all the battery stuffed right. into it. I don't so, so what, as a guy who... Tesla Roadster, it was very interesting. Lots of torque, lots of power, down low, really interesting. Very heavy, because as we know, and we've discussed before, certainly I have online, that the batteries are very heavy and that right. affects the performance. I wrote an engineering paper, I think my third year. Oh my God, it must be 45 years ago. <laughs> and it was, what are the future power plants and energy sources of the future? And we looked at electric vehicles then, and the conclusion wasn't a lot different than it was 45 years ago. Great for urban stuff, really great. Quite flawed for intercity. No, everybody talks about range anxiety, and that's uh, the idea that, okay, you can only go so far. Fact is, is you know, as Elon Musk has said, we can make a, a car go a thousand kilometers. Doubtful, but, you know, you can make it go further than they're going now, which is about 500 kilometers maximum. Fact is, is range anxiety is the combination of how far it will go and then how fast it can be recharged and then you get back on the open road. That is range anxiety. And the fact is, is, Battery-powered vehicles will always have a certain limitation. I can't see them ever matching the two or three minutes you can fill up a gas car and then continue on your way for 400 or 500 or 600 more kilometers. Right. Because of that, you think that that, that sense of convenience is the thing holding back mass adoption of EVs one as of passenger cars. It's one of them. There's price. There's setting up your own EV charging system at home. What do you do when you're like in Montreal? Most of people in apartments in Montreal park on the streets. They don't have garages. They don't have underground garages. It's not feasible. Right. So there's lots of roadblocks. And people, to be fair, again, people don't travel that much on the highway. I'd say maybe 15 to 20% of our travel on average for consumers in their own cars is maybe on the highway, intercity. But it's enough that if we try to convert every car to electric, both the strain on the amount of lithium ion we'll use, mostly the infrastructure. And by infrastructure, I just don't mean the dams and the nuclear plants that will need to power all those EVs, but the roadside stations that will have to fill them up on the way. That probably, in my mind, is the number one roadblock. Right. If you look at governments around the world, um, some more notable than others, and certainly automakers, it seems like the age of electric is, if not upon us, just around the corner. Again, I have to remind you, I, in all my things, though I get, you know, the Tesla fanboys hate me and I don't particularly like them, but EV is here. Electrified is here. EV is coming. EV does not necessarily mean battery powered. Let's understand that because hydrogen and there probably is going to be other energy sources coming down the pike. I'll give you a for instance. You could, though I think it'd be very difficult and we'd have lineups out the wing-wang, convert every car to battery-powered and still sort of travel between Toronto, Montreal, Vancouver and Calgary and stuff like that. We have huge weights at, at roadside stations and stuff like that. 
but it's feasible. What's not feasible, and, and let's understand this, this is impossible. This will never happen, is long-haul trucker like um, Tesla's working on a semi going fully electric. So when you say fully electric, obviously you mean... I mean by battery-powered, exactly. So, so you have to plug it in and charge yeah. it. Yeah, you could do the numbers nine ways to Sunday. You can believe everything Elon Musk says about how big a battery charger he can make. It's not possible. I mean, with lithium-ion batteries and the price, you're keen EV advocates on uh, listening to this. The price of lithium-ion and batteries has decreased fairly significantly. I mean, I sense there's some exaggerations. It's probably not at $100 a kilowatt hour now, but it's probably around $150. Will it go to $100? It's a lot cheaper than it used to be, making great strides. Where they have not made hardly any strides, I'd say less than a 20% improvement, is in power density. You know, if you want uh, uh, 100 kilowatt hours in a car, you need about five, 600 kilograms of battery. Imagine that 10 times larger in a semi-truck. Well, all of a sudden, a third of your payload is gone. And there's not a trucking firm in the world that is going to take on a truck that has to go 3,000 kilometers across the country or 5,000 kilometers across the country where its payload is cut by a third and it needs two or three hours every time it stops. There's not a chance this is happening. Right. So, so what's interesting, obviously, about talking about big trucks is one of the points of electrification is emission control or lowering emissions. And, you know, in the last 10 years, passenger car emissions have been cut drastically. Trucks haven't. So the question then is, you know, with all this push with passenger cars, shouldn't there be an equal or even more push to get electrification into long haul trucks? And you've written about that before. And you, I mean, your, your solution is one that others have talked about for an electrified long haul truck. And that is? Hydrogen, of course. Yes, right. it makes more sense. You can get a lot more hydrogen into a semi-truck without hurting the payload. You can fill it up probably not much quicker or slower, I should say, than gas, uh, gasoline or diesel. I'd say 30 minutes would be the maximum stop for a big semi-hauling fuel cells that's equally emissions free it just makes a lot more sense for long-haul trucks again battery powered evs they will be with us there's no question that they are useful uh, they will have some penetration i don't think as much as some people think but they will have significant penetration but quite how long distance vehicles whether they're people that buy diesels now like diesel volkswagens because they hit the road lots or People that are long-haul truckers or long-haul trucking companies and stuff like that, I can't see that ever going to a battery-powered electric vehicle. Right, which really speaks to the point where there is no one solution. A lot of, a lot of the talk about alternative energy for vehicles is replacing oil or replacing gasoline because we've only pretty much lived with it one system, which is gasoline for the last 100 years. And now when you start to get in discussions about electrification, the question a lot of people think is, oh, is it going to replace it? You believe the future is just going to be a mixture of all these old and emerging technologies. I agree. And in fact, my biggest frustration, and, and, and no matter how many times I write it, comment on it, is not that the world is going electrified. It's inevitable. Okay? Inevitable. Why? Because of governments? Governments of need to cut emissions. All of the stuff you've, uh, you've mentioned. The concept that I hate the most that riles me up and it's why I write some of the 
anti-Tesla and anti-Elon Musk articles that I do is that the both Mr. Musk and the people that follow him believe that their solution is the only solution. Mention hydrogens, those are fuel cells. Mention plug-in hybrids, they are still uh, terrible vehicles and they denigrate them. It's the same extremism we see in politics. I, I'm not sure if it's the scope of discussion here today, but as I've mentioned to you before personally, the difference between a Tesla fanboy and a Trump follower is a very, very fine line. I mean, they are equally indoctrinated, except no discrepancy from their viewpoint. They accept no criticism of their beloved leader. It's amazing. Right. Uh, of course, each group hates each, each other. One's right wing and one's left wing. But the concept of how they think and what they think and why they think it is so very similar. So to your point, I've written many columns about this. And you've actually driven a car. I sent you on the trip to drive the car, the Volvo 1. It's 150... Po Polestar 1. Polestar 1. Right. Pardon me, Volvo. <laughs> I believe it's got 150 kilometers. 160 kilometers. 160 full electric kil range. Uh, full electric range. And then you drive on gasoline right. afterwards. Right. I've done some, you know, more than back of the napkin calculations. And it would reduce emissions between 80 and 85%. The only time you'd use it is when you went further than 150 kilometers on the highway. 160 kilometers, or 160, I should say. 160 in town should get you most people through every day. Uh, you charge it at the beginning of a trip of 600 kilometers, you'll only use gasoline for 400 kilometers approximately. Right. So it's really going to cut down on greenhouse gas emissions. Again, 80 to 85%. So if the frustration that we've discussed personally is that when you say, well, a modern two-car family could have one battery-powered vehicle for in town, have a long-range plug-in for the second car, and that's the one they use on long trips, figure it out, the total cumulative greenhouse gas reduction is about 90%. Write that column and you will get so much feedback saying you're an internal combustion, you're in a fool, you're in the uh, employee of big oil and everything else. And that's a really hard part of the discussion. Today's EV podcast is sponsored by Motorino Electric, a brand that has become a symbol for quality, performance and style, incorporating the latest technologies in their electric motorcycles, scooters, bicycles and vehicles since 2003. I think the big picture of Tesla is, as it always proudly states, is it's a Silicon Valley company, it's not an automaker. And Silicon Valley in general, they tend to have almost a cult of personality with their products, be it Apple be it Uber, um, these kind of charismatic leaders that, that people fall behind. When you discuss Tesla, surely you have to separate the myth of the man and the machine. You have to admit it's an impressive piece of technology. Absolutely. Okay, first off, I've said some negative things. Mr. Musk is one half genius and a certifiable genius, the other half Bernie Madoff, okay? And the part that is a genius is great and the fact of the matter is his charisma i think he's a bit like steve jobs sometimes he needs to go away for a little while but his charisma that charisma that created tesla or then expanded it greatly was necessary without mr musk we would not be having nearly the discussion of evs that we are today having that is unquestionable they also 
whether it was by luck or by design, reached into the segment, luxury segment. Most automakers thought they should build little runabouts that were cheap as possible. Went into a segment where they made electric vehicles sexy. And Tesla's design has been sexy. Those are all the good things about it. They've popularized it. The engineering of them isn't quite as good as people think. So, for instance, Tesla uses a whole bunch of recently upgraded small laptop batteries, and they use about 8,000 of them in a big battery. I don't know the exact number, but it's around there. And it's hard to manage. I mean, one of the things about electric vehicles is you've got to manage their output, their voltage, the their whole heat, bit. The heat the, output. It's the heat output, everything. Right. And the best part of their engineering is that management. They do it extremely well. And there's been lots of talk and there are many claims. I mean, Porsche recently came out with the Taycan, there's the Audi, and then there's the Jaguar. And none of them can match the range per kilowatt hour of the Teslas. That's got two explanations. One, Tesla may indeed know something about battery management that nobody else knows. There is also the fact that their range claims might not be as realistic as other companies. So one of the differences is Tesla, as you said, is a Silicon Valley company. Silicon Valley is very much used to exaggerating their claims. And if it turns out they're wrong, they put out another update. Car companies are used to getting sued as soon as they don't do it. So when, for instance, Taycan says that Porsche's Taycan will go 450 kilometers, it will go 450 kilometers. That's not as impressive as Tesla 100D, say a little over 500 kilometers. I have talked to some experts who have tried to replicate the range of electric vehicles, and there's more than a few of them that tell me that the only car they can't, no matter how easily they drive it, reach the range that is claimed by the manufacturer is Tesla, mm-hmm. uh, Chevrolet Bolt, all the rest of them, whatever their range is. I'm not saying that it is great as, as Tesla, but whatever the range claim is, they can meet it. They've not been able to do that with Tesla. In fact, I, I the last time I had this conversation was at the Taycan launch just recently, and it was the guys at Edmunds, and they buy their cars, and so they've bought three or four Teslas over the last couple of years, and they can't make them do the the, the exact range they've claimed. Yeah. I was thinking about this coming in here today, preparing on my motorbike. Um, that's not an electric, that's not a hard, it's a live No, 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 no. It's not an electric. No, bike. it's not an electric motorbike. I have driven electric motorbikes. What's a Tesla like? And it's a little bit like a Dodge Charger. It's a big, sexy-looking car that goes real fast. Not especially good in the corners. Not above average in reliability, that's for sure. But has an enormously huge following. So if the Tesla Model S, for instance, was a, uh, was a gasoline-powered car, I'd see it as one of those black-windowed Dodge Chargers or a Chrysler uh, 300. I think the Tesla looks much better than either of those cars, but I'm thinking spiritually. I just drove the Taycan, and I can tell you it's just as fast as the Tesla. It handles way better than a Tesla. It feels like a real sports car, and it's got a little less range, about 450 kilometers in the European cycle, which will be around 400 in the American cycle. But how much, again, of that is real, i.e. Tesla knowing more about battery management, and how much of that is 
the Tesla exaggerates somewhat of what they do and nobody calls them on it. Yeah. I don't, that, that question, I don't know. Right. I'm going to try to deal with it in an f- upcoming Motormouth column. So interesting talking about the, the take hand that's coming. Um, one of, I will say more than a handful of luxury all electrics coming from traditional automakers, the Audi e-tron. I'm seeing uh, more on the streets of Vancouver. I'm here in Toronto and I'm seeing them here. Is this the death knell for Tesla simply because they've had a play space all to themselves? If you wanted a luxury EV, they were the only game in town. Now you've got bona fide automakers with, as I say, a century of auto building prowess, putting in battery packs and creating vehicles that a lot of people who have a Mercedes and wanted an all electric would have bought it a Model X. Now they'll buy a Mercedes. There are two camps in this. And one says people are going to buy on logic, which is the new products, at least some of them will be better and they should get the attention. If people are buying electric vehicles and they feel Tesla is the best electric vehicle they can buy and they would be swayed by a better electric vehicle, then there will be certain products that will sway them. That's one camp. So they would be in the positive, yeah, Tesla better watch out. The other camp says they can do whatever they want. All the other automakers, people that buy Teslas will only buy Teslas. There's lots of other good electric vehicles out there. And even Nissan's Leaf, which is the biggest selling electric vehicle, it's not what you'd consider a success versus their original projections. So the question that I've been asking, and you've read it many times, I'm sure, is are people buying electric vehicles when they buy a Tesla or are they buying Elon Musk? So here's how I would answer your question finally after that explanation. The Jaguar I-Pace is a great car. I like it quite a bit. I can see where it has just enough flaws that you could be a Tesla owner and say, I'm not trading over to it and still not be in a cult. Audi is largely the same. It's a very good vehicle. Don't get me wrong. But if you want to say, well, I'm 60% in love with Tesla and 40%, the logic of it isn't quite as good and that's enough for me to stay where I am, no problem. With the new Taycan, if it doesn't do well, then really this is all a cult and there's no bloody hope to ever convert any of the people that are are in Teslas or are shopping Teslas to buy anything else but a Tesla. It's that good. Right. It right. is that good. Right. It really is. Yeah. There's no excuse now. It's better in every bloody way. Well, certainly when you look at the people in Europe, primarily that have put money down on a Taycan, I mean, Porsche's expecting possibly in two years that vehicle's going to outsell their 911. I don't know. The Taycan looks like the Panamera should have. The Panamera was always supposed to be a four-door 911. It never succeeded in that. The new Taycan does. It's sexy. Oh, boy. An overboost, people that have Porsche turbo internal combustion cars will know what that means. At overboost, for about 10 seconds, you get 750 horsepower. Okay? It will slide around corners. It will do things that are incredible. It'll make your stomach turn when you hit the gas. It does everything that a ludicrous Tesla will do. Handle well, look better, built better, the whole damn bit. I mean, 
if I had both cars and I had them each for a week, I could find a few things a Tesla could do better. Probably the interior, but probably not much. Right. I mean, they've got 20,000 cash deposits on the Taycan. How does that compare to 200 or 300,000 of Model 3s? Not much. It's still way better than anybody else has done. I'll say it again. Two years from now, if the Taycan is a success and the people that would have shopped Tesla are now saying, well, yeah, I can look over here. Great, super. There's more to it than just a cult for Elon Musk. If the Taycan goes the way the F-Pace is looking, where they had an initial jump and then it's petered off, and also the Audi, and that's what happens, and it's still Tesla, 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 we've got a problem because there can't be just one company producing EVs and we have an EV revolution. Not everybody on the planet is only going to buy a Tesla. Well, as you can tell, listeners, we could, or David could talk about this for a long time. Um, his moniker Motor Mouth actually still fits in the electric world because it's electric motors. He's not Ice Mouth or uh, Petrol Head, anything like that. So he's got a long-term future and we can all hope that he continues to write his wonderful columns. A final question, David. So everyone talks about a tipping point for EVs. We'll talk about plugins. We'll we'll throw them all together as we talked about. In your mind, what signifies a tipping point? When will you be driving on the Don Valley Parkway here and you'll look around and you'll go, wow, the tipping point has been reached? I would say it's 15 to 20 years. You got to remember a car lasts 11 years on average now. So anybody, okay, right now, electrified vehicles, I think are between three and three and a half percent of the market. That means 96.5% are still buying brand new gasoline-powered cars. And they will for, say, the next five or eight years. Then to re get rid of all of those, it takes another 10, 12, 14 years. And then that's assuming that in 10, 12 years, the market for EVs is 50%. The one thing I would ask our readers to look in, right now there's a lot of data being processed, like a EV market has doubled or 80% up, and it's exponential growth. Look a little deeper. and while EVs are doing much better, hybrids are doing worse. And in fact, the total electrified market, if you take out those mild hybrids, which are, I mean, yes, they are kind of a hybrid, and yes, they are kind of electrified, but you can't really count them as a modern, lower emissions vehicle in my mind. If you put everything from a Toyota Prius to a Tesla in the equation, we've basically doubled sales over 10 years. That's not exponential growth. Um, it doesn't point to everybody having some kind of electrical vehicle in 10 years. It does not. And it's important to note, it's like basically a, not only what's happened, but a lot of what's happened is people have traded in their Prius and now they're buying a Nissan Leaf or a, a Chevrolet Bolt or a Tesla Model 3. It's not a whole bunch of people getting out of the car I used earlier, Dodge Chargers, and buying uh, a, a Nissan Leaf. That's not happening yet. So where that tipping point is, I don't know. I will say this. I suspect that by 2040, and forget all this stuff about banning cars in England and France and stuff like that, by 2040 in North America, I would suspect that if you would now include mild hybrids, 60 to 70 to maybe even 75% of the cars will have some form of electrification in them. So if you say EVs, 
it's hard to predict the future. It's really hard to tell how powerful, uh, how uh, large the audience will be. If you say electrified and you're more inclusive and you're talking hydrogen, battery-powered, uh, plug-in hybrids, which are my favorite right now, uh, uh, regular hybrids, and again, uh, now including mild hybrids, there will be a, a, a large audience in that. Okay. David Booth, Senior Writer, National Post. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Here's my takeaway from my interview with David Booth. Did he really liken Elon Musk to Bernie Madoff? Conversations fly so fast and furious with that guy, I only process that a little later. Don't worry, we'll get him on to expand on that somewhat provocative comparison the next time we have him on. Provocative is actually a good word to describe David, as he's one of the few automotive journalists who goes out of his way to challenge the status quo for his readers, particularly with his weekly Motormouth column on Driving.ca. Testimony to that is the overflowing comment section on that column, especially when he writes about electric vehicles. Only unlike so many commentators, David is willing to listen to an argument and fairly assess its validity. I've seen him admit when he is wrong, and I've also seen his opinion change, particularly when it comes to electric vehicles. A few years ago, he was an unabashed cynic of all things EV, citing their range, their price, and their availability. And he was a massive critic of Tesla and the cult of personality that surrounded that startup. Today, he remains skeptical about the efficacy of a full-scale EV revolution, but has come to admit that electric vehicles are indeed part of our motoring future. As to Tesla, okay, he's still a bit cynical on that one. Agree with him or not, it's difficult not to respect David's well-earned opinion. He's one of the hardest-working automotive journalists I know, and whereas many of his veteran colleagues have resorted to mailing in their stories and opinions, when you read something with a David Booth byline, you know it's a well-researched and well-crafted piece of writing and quite possibly one that will get your blood pressure up a little. That's it for this episode. Thanks to my guest, David Booth, producer extraordinaire, Dar Makwana, National Post producer, Bryce Hall, and you for joining me on another electrifying journey down the EV highway. We always welcome your comments and criticisms via email at pluggedin at postmedia.com. That's pluggedin at postmedia.com. For your daily dose of automotive news, views, and reviews, be sure to check out driving.ca and subscribe to Plugged In wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.